said, I'm Camille Hart, and I am the events director at the Claire Booth Loose Policy Institute. And I've had the pleasure of planning this event, our first ever Midwest Women's Summit. And it's great to be here in Minnesota. So thank you all so much for coming. And um, I hope you enjoy hearing from our great lineup of speakers today. Now I'd like to introduce our first speaker of the day, Nani Darwish. Nani has an extraordinary story, which she details in her memoir, Now They Call Me Infidel, Why I Renounced Jihad for America, Israel, and the War on Terror. Nani was born and raised as a Muslim in Cairo, Egypt, and Gaza, and lived under Sharia law. She studied sociology and anthropology at the American University in Cairo, and from there she worked as an editor and translator for the Middle East News Agency until she immigrated to the United States. And following the September 11th attacks, Nani began writing columns critical of Islamic Jihad and extremism and the silence of moderate Muslims. Nani is now a Middle East expert and she lectures extensively on college campuses and internationally. She is part of the Loose Policy Institute's popular campus lecture program and in 2008, she received Luce's Woman of Exceptional Courage Award. That's an award we, we only give occasionally for exceptional uh, women like Nani. She has been published in The Guardian and Wall Street Journal and appeared on numerous television programs. She's also the author of Cruel and Unusual Punishment and The Devil We Don't Know, and both of those books will be available um, for purchase, and she's going to be signing them after um, the program today. Nani is a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy, and in 2009, she co-founded FormerMuslimsUnited.org, which stands for freedom of religion and to protect the civil rights of people who were born into Islam and wish to leave their religion. Please join me in welcoming Nani Darwish. Good morning, ladies. It's a pleasure to be here always with Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute. I'm just honored to be one of their speakers. It's ironic that the expression war on women did not originate in Saudi Arabia. It was not held by science in, uh, in Tahrir Square during the Egyptian revolution. We didn't see this uh, you know, claim that there's a war on women in the parts of the world that, that women were really in a war to, to even survive, not, let alone have equal rights. But unfortunately, the expression war on women started right here in America. The only place on earth where women are safe and have equality this is the place where I had to flee and many other women to have equality and respect. So it originated here in America, and it's a shame. Um, so this, this war on women, let's examine and see if there is really a war on women in America, in the West. I find that there is no war on women, no bullets, nobody was, was uh, uh, even during the suffrage movement, there was no war on women. I never saw a, a strong opposition for women's equality. During the suffrage movement, there wasn't. In the 60s, actually the women who 
started this movement, uh, sexual revolution in the 60s, hardly had any opposition. And I, at that time, I was a teenager in Egypt. And I saw uh, the, uh, the feminist movement in America. And it was, it was really amazing for us women in the Middle East to see it. And I thought, if we do the same thing, we'll, we'll, we'll have bloodshed on the street. And I was looking, and everybody adored these women. Gloria Steinem became a heroic figure, a legend, practically. She was honored by the media. No, uh, no uh, up, rarely any opposition. So what war on women are we talking about? None. There is no war on women in the West. This is a fictitious war that is designed by the far-left liberal feminist movement to, uh, for votes, for, for, to scare women from voting conservative. Women who don't have time to research, who come from work, they have children, and they come and w watch a few minutes of news, and they hear there's a war in women by the conservatives, and they say, oh no, we're not going to vote Republican. It's just being used uh, as a tool to scare tactic without any uh, basis. And it's, it's very obvious. Uh, so right here in the West, there is no war on women. Let us see where is the real war on women. In the Muslim world, this is where there is a war on women. And it's a genuine war on women for 1,400 years. It's an unwinnable war on women. As long as Islamic Sharia law is active, which is still active, they, they can never defy and stand like Western women and say, we want our freedom. Because if you rebel against Sharia, you are considered an apostate and actually you get killed. Apostasy is considered from Islam, it's considered an attack on the state. To leave Islam is not just a choice of leaving a religion. Under Islam, to leave Islam, to be rebellious against Islamic law called Sharia, is equal to, to having done treason against the state. And that's why they kill people who live, live Islam. So being a Muslim is not really a, relation, a personal relationship with God, like being a Christian. Being a Muslim is a forced contract on the person with the state to practice Islam against your will, whether you like it or not. To, to do a feminist movement and to reject the legal system that suppresses women is equal to um, rebelling against the state. So this is where the war on women really happens. Let's see the feminists in the West. Uh, have they touched the, the topic of Islam? I can excuse them if they don't want to touch the Middle East if they don't want to touch uh, the state of affairs, uh, oppression of women in the Middle East, I can understand that. It's far away. 
But what about Western women in Europe who are being raped by Islamic jihadists? This has become an epidemic in Europe. There are whole towns in the United Kingdom, in Northern Europe, in many areas of Europe where Western women are actually called infidels. They are okay to rape. And there are gangs, Islamic gangs, that are raping these young Western girls. And uh, it's been going on for several years. And there was a cover-up, uh, actually, in the United Kingdom uh, for an Islamic gang group that was raping little girls, underage girls. For uh, The city council covered it up. Where are the feminists? Where are Western feminists? Fine, don't defend women in the Middle East, but how come Western women who are being, being uh, uh, raped, underage Western girls being raped in Europe and in America, there's honor killing right here in America. Where are the feminists? No, they are busy. They are busy calling like Michelle said, Republican women, they are non, not females. They are, you know, they are not even women. So this is the tragedy that's in the West, that feminism has become uh, discredited. They are no longer defending women. They have abdicated their role, their true role to defend women they have sacrificed their own girls, girls who are being honor killed right here in America. There's honor killing right here in America. Whole villages in Europe where the city, the British city, city council is ignoring Islamic rape of, of women. And where are the feminists? They are nowhere to be found. Uh, so, this is the role of the Western women. It has been abdicated. And trust me, whatever happens in the West, in the Middle East, they pay very good attention to it. The suffrage movement of the late 19th century, early 20th century, did not only influence America and Europe. It influenced the whole world. At that time in Egypt, before Islamism became very strong. There was a woman, her name was Huda Sha'arawi. She, she attended a, a feminism suffrage conference in Europe. She came back to Cairo Railroad Station and took off her hijab, her head cover, 1919. She took it off, threw it away, and said, the Muslim women, we are going to have a movement like Europe and America. So. This inspiration of the suffrage movement inspired a lot more than what the West believes it did. It liberated many people, but luckily, at that time, the British ruled Egypt. France and Great Britain were in the West, and they actually protected the women's movement at that time. And that's why my grandmother, 
my mother and myself, we never wore a head cover. 70 years later, in 19, uh, starting 1970, so the end of 1970, that's when the Islamic movement started uh, getting radical Islam controlled the Middle East. Why? Why did radical Islam control the Middle East? It did because petrodollars at that time empowered Islam. Islam was dying in the early 20th century. The Ottoman Empire collapsed. Islam became very weak. And suddenly there was petrodollars and the West started buying oil. And who did it enrich? It didn't enrich countries like Egypt and more liberal Islamic countries. It's enriched Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, which are the heart of radical Islam. And that's how we saw the reviving of radical Islam, not only in the Middle East, but all over the world. At the same time, while we were giving them our petrodollars, we were telling ourselves, oh no, we don't want to drill for oil in the, in the West because if we drill, we drill for oil, our environment. Well, what about the environment in the Middle East? They're fine. The camels are happy. The Red Sea is full of happy fish. They're drilling everywhere. They're drilling everywhere. And their environment is fine. As a matter of fact, the lifespan of the average Saudi person doubled since the discovery of oil. So where is it hurting, really? Why don't we? Tell them that. You're saying it's going to hurt us here, drilling. How come it's not hurting the area of the world where, where there's drilling? I mean, Saudi, the area of Arabia and the Red Sea and the, the uh, Arabian Sea is full of drilling. It's the most active area for drilling of oil in the whole world. And they're fine. So we did it to ourselves. We empowered them, radical Islam was empowered, and now women are having even a harder time. Instead of improving and following the example of the feminist movement that happened in 1919, that movement ended 70 years later after Hoda Sha'arawi had her movement. Radical Islam came back with vengeance. And what happened is, by choice, women in Egypt went back to the hijab. I never wore it, but it's the movement now. And why is that? Why did women in the Middle East go back to that movement? By choice. Um, they, they went by choice because they were convinced by they're Islamic leaders that don't look at Western women. Western women are, uh, feminism is bad for you. Islam actually honored women. That's what they tell them, which is a big lie because Islam oppresses women, not only oppresses women, but there are many verses in the Quran that say that women are uh, in, deficient in intellect, deficient in religion. They are uh, harmful to men. 
that men should not be loyal to women. Um, uh, women ha are not credible, according to Islam. Even their testimony in court, according to Islam, is have the value of men. So if you go to court, a woman against a man in an Islamic court, she always loses because her testimony is have the value of the man because she's deficient in intellect. And lo and behold, after the feminist movement in the West came about, Muslim leaders quickly went and, and had a, uh, uh, like a, a campaign, a media campaign, telling Muslim women and the whole, that Islam honors women and that really don't, oh, Western women are actually uh, oversexed, promiscuous, uh, and that, uh, so they portrayed Western women as reckless and they are not pro-family. And that's how they convinced Muslim women, you are holier than thou. You wear your hijab with pride because Western women are loose, loose women, bad women. And this, this is, they really believed it. That, that's the, that was the only way for Islam to convince uh, Muslim women that they have it better than Western women, which is of course a lie. It's really a tragic, it's comic, the way they portray Western women. It's a joke. Uh, so he, here is, the, this is the situation now. Egypt, uh, uh, in, in Sharia, Islamic law, actually has laws to cripple women cripple them in every way, and uh, I have a list of these laws that you can read. It's in my, um, if you check uh, Sharia, my Sharia law articles. So there, um, why does Islam want to oppress women? Why? Here's a religion, an ideology that wants to oppress women. It's very easy to tell you why. There is a reason. It's a very good reason. Western culture is puzzled by Islam and how far Islamic culture have gone to develop societal and legal institutions based on the sadistic oppression of women. Uh, so there is a war on women, but it's not in America. It's in the Middle East. And the reason is the values of Islam is not like the Bible. Islam wants men to, to do the most important objective of Islam. What's the most important objective of Islam? It's not life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. The number one objective of Islam is to control government, to expand and create a, a state, an Islamic state that controls the whole world. Islam's number one objective is to expand through jihad. The concept of jihad. What's the concept of jihad? In Christianity, we're all sinners. In Islam, they are all sinners. And we have to conquer them, to fix them, to make them Muslims, and to stop their sin, 
they have to become Muslim. So we have to, to go to war against them. A holy war. War is holy in Islam. So men have to be available in Islam to do this holy war. Men should not be devoted husbands and fathers and care number one about their family. Muslim men have to care number one about doing jihad. What stands in the way here if they fall in love with a woman? if they respect women. So women become an impediment in Islam. They become the enemy of the objectives of Islam. And a lot of people don't understand why. Why does Saudi Arabia hate to celebrate um, Valentine's Day? They forbid even the selling of red flowers on Valentine's Day. They will arrest you if you in Saudi Arabia if you celebrate Valentine's Day. Love for a woman is not a thing to be celebrated. This is the unwinnable war on women. And why Islam is totally, totally paranoid about women. They want to suppress them, cover them, and segregate them. So men are free to do what ISIS is doing today. That's it in a nutshell. And they are not limiting their movement only in the Middle East. It's now all over the world. It's in Europe. It's in America. It's coming to a neighborhood near, near you. And so... Sharia, Islamic law, has very harsh treatment of women and telling the men that the role of women in their life is just to have babies and you, you are not supposed to give them any loyalty. Why? Because loyalty of a man to a woman is going to distract him from doing jihad. So what does Islam give him power to do? You can have up to four wives. And not only that, sexual slaves. And not only that, if you go to war and you die, you go to heaven and you get 72, 72 virgins. You start all over again. So women are restricted in Islam for a function of sex and babies in order for the man to go to do jihad and war so he can get his 72 virgins in heaven. Can you imagine this kind of legal system, this kind of culture, how it will treat men? The relationship between men and women is totally dysfunctional. In, in the West, the relationship between men and women, especially for, a far, for a, somebody who moved from another culture to the West, I can see it. Uh, biblical values have in the center family ha happiness. In its center is family happiness. It's not to conquer other countries. It's not to oppress women. As a matter of fact, when the normal evolution of the role of women happened, there was no war whatsoever on women. Never. No bullets, 
no stoning, nothing. They were elevated to celebrity. They became um, celebrities, all of the feminists in America. So this is the, the, the dirty little secret. Why does feminism in the West do, don't want to touch Islam? They don't want to touch Islam. I'll tell you why, the dirty little secret. If they fight Islam and its Sharia and its real oppression of women, they will expose to the West that the reason they succeeded, feminism in the West succeeded, was because of the Bible, was because of our Constitution, was because of Western values, which was there anyway. And that's why they never had any trouble. They don't want that. They want to continue convincing the West. They want to continue convincing the West that their problem is, is the Bible. Their problem is the Constitution. Their problem is Western men, which is not true. Western men are not, uh, are not uh, doing jihadist rapes on whole villages of little babies and nobody's. People are scared to, to, to call it as it is. I mean, go on the internet and check uh, underage rape all over Europe because the number of Muslims in Europe is a lot long, larger than in the West. But wait until they become larger in numbers and, and President Obama is doing a very good job in bringing in a lot of Muslims in, inside America. Wait for another 10, 15 years and you will find our feminists uh, they, will not, they will not speak. They're not speaking in Europe. Why? Because Islam punishes harsh women who speak against Sharia. And Western women, they are not as brave as they are telling you. Oh, thank us, because we've given you liberty. No, I don't thank you. You, Gloria Steinem, or I thank American Constitution. I thank American value system. I thank the Bible, which, which told men to respect women, and that's why. You remember the, uh, the, the Christian movement that was called um, Promise Keepers? Do you remember the feminists here, how much they were so angry at them? They fought them. They fought them so bad. These were Christian men who were vowing to be good to their wives. Who wouldn't want that? But they were threatened by it. They did not want to show women that Christianity promotes loyalty and devotion from a man. They were against it. They wanted the enemy to be men and the Bible. And that is, their objective is not women. Their objective is to destroy the value system in America, which gave freedom for women. And that, for, for 
That is something that I, can, I see so clearly because I come from that value system in the Middle East where women have molded themselves. They have molded themselves to live under this oppression, convinced themselves to, to have pride in bondage. They learned helplessness. That's what they learned. To, to have power through helplessness. And if you go to the Middle East, not all women in the Middle East are, are, are so scared and, and poor. And Actually, there's two kinds of women in the Muslim world. The doormats who are totally oppressed and suppressed, and the powerful Muslim women who wear their Islamic clothes with total pride and would tell you, I have, I am, Proud to be a Muslim. I love the Sharia system. I want Sharia. And these are the women who report the little girls who don't want to wear Islamic clothes. They are very assertive. They promote jihad. Some of these women even go as far as telling their husbands, you have to go do jihad and follow Sharia. These are the same women who stand in front of the TV in the Muslim world and say, I have given my son to jihad. And I'm ready to give the rest of my children to jihad. And these women are the ones who are honored. They are given total respect in, in the media, in the Arab world. You see, do you, have you seen the Palestinian women who stand and say, we're going to give all of my children to jihad? And actually, some of some Muslim women, radical Muslim women, tell their husbands, if you don't do jihad, I will divorce you. I want a divorce. And these are the women who end up being respected in the Muslim world. So what do it be, you know, to become a powerful woman in the Middle East, you have to be as radical if not more radical than men. So that's how it is. To, if you can't beat them, join them. So feminists, Islamic feminism is to embrace jihad. Give your kids to jihad. Give your husband to jihad. And that's what happened to me. I lost my father to jihad. And the day I lost my father to jihad, the president of Egypt came and congratulated us because my father now is in heaven. Forget that he left five kids and a, a, a widow who couldn't do anything without a man. She was home all the time, my mother. So this is the only way to get respect in the Muslim world is to deny your, 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 your needs as a woman and to actually give up yourself, your children, your husband, to the concept of jihad. And that's the only way a Muslim woman can achieve respect and power. And there are Muslim women who have a lot of power, but these feminists, these Islamic feminists, they come here to college campuses in America and they say, we are happy, we're proud of being Muslims. Islam doesn't oppress us. We are superior to Western culture. 
and we're happy being Muslim. We're happy living under Sharia law. Guess who buy their propaganda? The feminists in America. These are the women who buy their propaganda. When I came to America, I, I used to be a journalist right after, after college in Egypt. So when I came to America, I started being a little active speaking about the oppression of women. That was even before 9-11. About the oppression of women under Islam. Guess who supported me who was interested in what I said? It was not the feminists in America. It was you. It was the ordinary conservative American women who listened to me. But the left, the far left, they hated me. They hated what I have to say. Why? Because it, it doesn't fit in their agenda. So this is the dirty little secret. That Western feminism does not want to fight Islam because if they fight Islam, they're going to expose that, that they had it very, very good, that Western feminism evolved without any, without any kind of um, uh, re uh, war. There was no war. When women started the, the movement, it was a ripe movement. It was ripe for the picking. There was, there was no war. They didn't put them in holes and stone them like in the Middle East if you ask, if you speak against Sharia. So this is, this is what's happening. Feminism in America is courting and, and being very uh, friendly with the assertive Islamic feminists who says, I love Sharia and I'm proud of Islam and I'm happy in my Islamic cover. Actually, there are some prof Islamic professors on campuses today here in America who write books about how the veil freed me. And guess who buy these books and love them? The feminists. How the veil is freedom. They have convoluted. They have convoluted what freedom is all about. And I call that pride in bondage. Helplessness has become a value. And that's what Western feminism is doing right now. What is Western feminism? They're being, it, it started with equal rights, right? Equal voting, which was all good. It was ripe and it, it happened. And then in the 60s, oh, we want sexual equality. There is no difference whatsoever in the 60s between men and women. And they burned their bras on college campuses and started a sexual equality movement, okay? But after a while, this, they didn't like it. They discovered that babies come out of wedlock and it's going to be a burden. So what do we do? In the 90s, they started a new movement, the feminists. Sexual harassment, we are helpless. We are helpless little women. We need to pro be protected from men in the workplace. These are the awful bad American men who are chasing us around the desks, and we can't do anything about it. We are helpless. 
So they've discovered that helplessness can be, can be learned, learned helplessness can be beneficial. So now we are in a state now where, where oh, protect us from sexual harassment. And then in the 21st century, it moved even a little further. We women are so helpless, we can't even afford buying our own contraceptives. If you don't give us government contraceptives, you are having a war on women. So this is the state of affairs in the feminist, the feminist movement. It has become a joke. It has become not even uh, credible anymore. Even among liberals, the feminist movement is no longer credible. But they are still using it as a political tool for voting and scaring women. And that's what we should stop and tell them and speak out and be as aggressive and bombastic as they are. And tell them enough is enough. If you want to fight for women, then fight for the Western girls who are being raped, for the girls who are honored, killed right here in America by Muslim groups. Thank you very much. And I'll take some questions. Yeah, we, we do have time for some questions. If you could just um, give your name when you get the microphone. Uh, my name is Joanne. And, um, and now, all of these young Muslims here in America have to learn all of this stuff. Some of them come here, they live here. Okay, so are the women still teaching everything in the homes? I mean, like, there yes. can be young Somalis here. I'm talking, well, I shouldn't say Somalis, but just Muslims. Yeah. Uh, and yet, here they are 20, 25, and it's like they grew up in the Middle East. Yes. Well, the thing is, mosques here encourage Muslims, and I was a Muslim. When I first went to a mosque in America, that was very early, because I considered myself still a Muslim. Uh, in the late, in the early 80s, I went to uh, twice mosque in, in America, and they told me wear your he your head cover, and I said I've never worn that in the Middle East, so why should I wear it in America? I've never it's alien to me. It's like wearing a costume. I've never worn it in the Middle East, and he said because we have to to present ourselves as separate, we have to present ourselves as Muslims. And it's uh, our jihad, our form of jihad as women. So jihad for men is to do war. Jihad for women is to hold the Sharia laws and the obligations of Islam, teach it to our children, and, and tell them to be jihadists. And our form of jihad is to cover and be proud of it. And as a matter of fact, the children of many Muslims in Europe and are more radical even than their, their parents. Do you see the Tsarayev brothers in Boston who blew up the Boston Marathon? Yeah, their mom and dad was, were radical. The mom especially was very... Have you seen the mom? 
That's an example of an Islamic feminist. The mother of uh, Gohar uh, Sarnaev and uh, his brother, um, she was not apologetic for what her, her children did. She stood and said, uh, uh, if you, she was threatening America from arresting her son. How dare you? So this is an example of Islamic feminism, is to say, I'm happy under Islam, and you're an infidel. You deserve what's happening to you. So that's, that's what I learned in the mosque. And I stopped. I stopped going. I lived in America for 17 years without practicing any religion until I became a Christian. And that's when the light, the bulb, the, that's when I started seeing reality. Oh my goodness, and the feminists are not on my side. In America, they're on the, the mothers of terrorist side. Oh my, that's when I, it, the feminist movement in America, the fakeness of that movement became very clear to me. They were not on the side of women like me who wanted to, who was in need, in need of to speak the truth and for America to listen. They boycotted me. So. Hi, I'm Samantha. Thank you so much for speaking. Um, I feel like in the news so much recently, there's been uh, well news about girls who leave Western society who are Muslims and who go and join ISIS. And I'm wondering if you could shed some light on why that's an appealing yeah. option to them and how we can dissuade them from doing that. Yeah, that's a very good question. We're seeing every day news from Europe, from Australia even, from America, Canada, of girls and young men too who are being attracted to the ISIS. Uh, wh why? Human, that reflects on human nature. We, we are not all sane. We're not all, um, there is attraction to the human spirit of evil. Sometimes when you show power and uh, defiance of the world, me standing against the world, you know, and some teenagers are so vulnerable to that. It's on, to, to them it's almost like a movie, like I'm participating in a movie. So what they do is they, uh, they contact them through the internet and they talk to each other, these teenagers, usually behind their parents' back, and they get tickets pretending they're going uh, for a vacation or something, and, and they, they are very naive, very naive. But it, it happens because not, not every, I mean, uh, and also there are some Westerners who do it also, and they, they are uh, very fragile, they have no purpose in life, maybe in America. They uh, disfranchise young, young people who want a cause. There's even a movie called Rebel Without a Cause. You know, we humans like to participate in causes, and some of us are so weak, they don't even want to examine the cause. They just want a cause. And to them, ISIS maybe is a cause. Thank you so much for coming. Um, 
can you say a little bit about the differences between the different sects of Islam? Because we we refer to ISIS as if that's yeah. the same as Sorry. all of them, and I just it's it's confusing to many of us yeah. to understand it's, how it all you know they're so different and yet yeah that's a good question. A lot of people don't know what's what's Sunni, what's Shiite, what uh, all these sects, but basically. To the American people, it doesn't really matter. Sunnis are the majority of Arab countries are Sunnis. Iran and a good and Iraq is majority Shiites. There are Shiite minorities around the, the world, but mostly it's Iran and Iraq. Um, that for the West, really, it doesn't matter because both are dangerous. Both want jihad, both hate the West, both follow Sharia law, and uh, both are oppressive of women. So I really don't see the distraction of trying to know which is better or which is worse because they're both very radical. However, Sunnis uh, are the ones who are, who are behind 9-11. 9-11 was done by Sunnis, not by Shiites. Iran had nothing to do with 9-11. These were Sunnis, and Osama um, bin Laden is Sunni. Al-Qaeda is Sunni. So just so you know, Saudi Arabia says it's our friend, but Saudi Arabia is financing a lot of these radical groups. As a matter of fact, when the war in Syria started, Saudi Arabia was sending support to all the rebels against, uh, against uh, uh, Assad. And all these rebels are now called ISIS. So the West, it's very hard for the West to take one side or another. And I, I, please, I don't want the West to take one side or another because they're all really a problem anyway. And that's why the West at the end, they get disappointed. They support one side thinking they're gonna be our friends. Even when we saved Kuwait, when we saved Kuwait from the assault of Iraq in uh, 91, when they conquered Kuwait and we freed Kuwait, do you think the Kuwaitis are now 100% pro-America? No, no. So let us not take m many sides. The most important thing is to restrict Islamic immigration to the West until this whole mess is over. This is just a more of a distinction on that. If I'm understanding you right, there isn't, due to all the political correctness that we have in the U.S. right now, there isn't really a moderate Islam and a radical Islam. They're just all the same, is what I'm understanding yeah. you saying. They're either jihad in waiting or active jihadists now. And yeah. that, and I guess I'm also wondering if uh, you would classify Islam as a cult. Well, Islam, uh, when, I, when I lived in the Middle East, I never heard the word moderate Islam and radical Islam. This is not an expression that's used in the Muslim world. 
This is a Western expression created in the West to distinguish and not offend Muslims. So they can distinguish between the people who actually do the jihad and the people who are not doing the jihad. But they don't know that the people who are not doing the jihad are supporting the people who are doing the jihad. So this, this idea of moderate Islam and radical Islam is totally a creation of the West, so they don't offend Muslims. Islam is Islam, and that's why I, I, never want, I never like to refer to Islam about people, because people change. I like to discuss Islam in the form of their books. Let us judge Islam but what's written in their books? And what's written in their books is very clear. They consider anybody who's not a Muslim an enemy of Allah. Any group that is not a Muslim is an enemy of the, of the God of Islam. And the concept of jihad was created by Allah to demand from Muslims to do jihad, to do violence, to do war against the enemies of Allah, to convert them and make them Muslims, and to create a whole world that's totally ruled by Islam. That's the ultimate goal of Islam. And that's why we have all this trouble. So moderate Muslims, I don't know who they are. I really don't know. There are some people who are not actually active in this, in jihad. And if that's what you want to call moderate Muslim, then the West is happy to use that word, fine. But Muslim leaders themselves, they, they tell you, it's on the internet. All the Muslim leaders say there's nothing called moderate Islam. It's a creation of the West. Hello, thank you for doing this. This is very interesting. My name is Sophie. Um, my question is related to Malala Yousafzai. Um, Malala, I'm referencing Malala. The she, Afghani girl or the yeah, Pakistani she's girl. she's from yeah. Pakistan and she um, crusades for girls' education. And um, it might be that she's a kind of a notable exception to your concept that um, as Muslim women become more empowered, they become more radical. Um, I know that she um, criticizes more radical Islam, but she is a, like still like a Muslim um, girl and still wears um, head cover. A head covering, yeah. Um, there are many people like her. Yeah. There are many activists. There is Dr. Zohdi Jasser, who calls himself Muslim, and he's against radical Islam. But guess what? whether it's Malala or Zohdi Jasser or whoever is trying to change Islam, they are accused by Muslims, by real Muslims, as apostates. I was in an Egyptian or in a Middle Eastern newspaper with my picture. Next to me was Zohdi Jasser, and we're both called enemies of Islam and apostates. So these are the people who are standing up to Sharia and and to radical Islam and to jihad, they are not considered by Islam as good Muslims. Um, last question here. I'm so sorry. Um, I just wanted to make sure if this was a fair assessment. Um, what I'm concluding is that the reason liberal feminists support women upholding Islam is ultimately because it fights against Christianity. Would you agree or disagree with that? 
I'm sorry, what's the question again? Um, would this be a fair assessment that the reason li liberal feminists support Muslims upholding Islam is because it, it ultimately fights against Christianity? Yes, absolutely. That is a very good... Uh, the, the feminists of the West, they are focused on one thing, discrediting Christianity, discrediting Western male, not Muslim, not Muslim male, Western male, and, uh, and accusing them of being the cause of, of the oppression of women in the West, which is all false. But if they fight Islam, like I said, then they'll expose that Western male and Christianity are, are, are in tune with, with feminism, in tune for equal rights for women. Actually, actually the, the church, uh, the Bible says treat your wife as the church. The Bible said one man, one woman. 2,000 years ago was the first feminist movement. And it didn't happen by women. It happened by Jesus Christ, who said that a man, he restricted this uh, barbaric way of life at that time of one man, a hundred women, if he wants to marry. He restricted men to one woman. That was honoring women. That was truth of freedom of women and liberating women and giving equal rights to women. It was given by the Bible. And, uh, and, and the, the Western feminism does not want to expose that. So they put up with the abuse of Islamic Sharia. They ignore it. They, they look the other way in order to concentrate on their real objective, which is to uh, to actually fight, fight Western Judeo-Christian culture. Thank you. I want to say thank you so much for speaking to us today. Nani's actually a loose campus speaker, so if anyone is interested in bringing her to your campus, please come talk to me afterwards, and CBL can help you uh, secure funding and uh, bring her to